0: Good morning at 719. You're listening to member supported KaXE,
1: KBXE. I'm Heidi Holton with Carrie Headland. Uh, right now we're going to be speaking with Greta Call. Last month, the U.S Supreme Court removed the federal right to an abortion in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This then leaves state, states the rights on whether to allow and how to allow abortions. Greta
0: Call joins us now. Good morning, Greta. thanks for being back with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, this let's start with a recent state district court ruling in Minnesota. That's Doe versus Minnesota. This case removed many of the laws that restricted abortion in Minnesota, and it sounds like Minnesota, unlike other states, has kind of gone the other way.
2: Yeah. So it's inter- it's it's just uh, interesting timing on this. Uh, right after. The big Dobbs decision was handed down by the uh, US Supreme Court. The um, This Ramsey County District Court judge handed down this opinion just two weeks later. This case had been in the system for a, a few years, but um, this ruling came out just two weeks after Dobbs that really removed a bunch of the restrictions um, that Minnesota had on abortion in the books, um, just as other states as you're, you've you probably been reading in the news and other people have um, have been enacting uh, laws restricting abortion or some states had trigger laws. Laws that automatically um, banned or mostly banned abortion as soon as the Dobbs ruling came down. So in Minnesota, what this um, Doe v. state of Minnesota ruling did um, was immediately remove the state's uh, 24-hour waiting period law that required people getting abortions to wait 24 hours before the procedure. Um, it uh, struck down an, uh, a law that required an informed consent uh, script to be read to patients. Um, part of it, 24 hours, and part of it by doctors. Um, minors in Minnesota had to had to notify both parents if they were going to get an abortion um, before the procedure, and that's no longer uh, a requirement. They could also get a court waiver, um, but but that's no longer the case. Um, Another law that was struck down in this um, ruling was uh, one that allowed only physicians, so like doctors, to perform abortions and not other medical professionals who, um, who the, the judge basically says are qualified to do it. And then also a rule that um, abortions after the first trimester be carried out in the hospital. So that's almost all the restrictions that were on the books in Minnesota.
0: You know, you write about this court case and you said that it was focused on the argument of access. Do you
2: think that's what
0: made a difference here, the focus?
2: Yeah, so I talked to Jill Hasday, who is a um, law professor at the University of Minnesota, who um, talked about kind of the legal argument in this uh, Doe versus Minnesota case that came out last month. And she really pointed to the 1995 Minnesota Supreme Court case Doe v. Gomez, which um, not only recognized the, the right to an abortion in Minnesota um, under the state's constitution, but also um, really um, argued for access by kind of going further than Roe v. Wade, which was the federal obviously ruling at the time, um, by giving low-income women who were on the state's um, medical assistance program access to abortion um, through, the, through state money. So Gomez really made a big um, access argument and this Ramsey court judge has they pointed out to me really took that, um, access argument and applied it to a lot of these, um, laws that were on Minnesota's books and then ruled them unconstitutional kind of on that basis. So since that Dovi
1: Gomez ruling, um, because of that ruling, did the Supreme court ruling not really change Minnesota law? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah. So um, like I said, a lot of states had trigger laws where basically as soon as the um, as soon as the Dobbs ruling came down, um, you know, it was, I think, at the end of June, um, many states had either immediate or very soon acting abortion uh, restriction trigger laws so that abortions were banned or only allowed in certain scenarios. Um, but it really didn't change things in Minnesota because of our state constitution um, and because of the 1995 ruling, Doby Gomez.
0: We're talking with Greta Call. She's data reporter at Minpost. She's helping us understand Minnesota laws as it pertains to abortion. So we've learned about this case that lifted some abortion restrictions. Did it lift, lift all of them?
2: Um, it pretty much lifted all the things that that people would call, Restrictions specifically on the procedure, but it didn't li- lift every law surrounding abortion in Minnesota. Um, so there are still a few left on the books. Um, one of them that the that the lawsuit that um, that went before the district court judge actually challenged, but the, the one law that the the um, judge left in place was a reporting requirement. So abortion providers are required to gather information on people seeking abortions. So there's like demographic data, information about the estimated gestational age that the fetus is at, um, information about why why the person is seeking the abortion and then other things like that. So they're still required to collect that information and then report it to the state. And the state um, produces a big report every year on it that has a lot of information about abortion. Um, So that was left intact, so that's still um that's still the law and at least for now um that report will still be required to uh be produced another one that is still on the books that um that the lawsuit did initially challenge but then the court didn't end up ruling on i talked to the plaintiffs and they said it was because of a misunderstanding and they should have more clarity soon but there is a fetal tissue requirement where after a certain point in pregnancy um the tissue of an aborted fetus has to be um either cremated or buried and that's still on the books for now um so that one Um, and then also in minnesota um there is a born alive infant protection act and this requires an additional doctor to be um on hand in in abortions after 20 weeks to basically like ensure that if a if a if an infant is born alive um that they will be taken care of. So that's still on the books. Another thing that's really um, interesting to me and my colleague Walker and I wrote a story about this, but if you look up like what Minnesota abortion law is on like websites um, that are trying to provide information on this type of thing, you'll find most of them say that there's like some kind of ban past like viability, whether it's like 20 weeks, 24 weeks, things like that. So you'll find most websites say that there's that you can't get an abortion after a certain point, um, we found that there's actually a really interesting legal landscape around that because there used to be a post viability ban in Minnesota law, but a 1976 court order made that unenforceable. Um, so basically, it's our understanding, and a bunch of experts told us that um, there there really isn't like a law that says that you can't get an abortion after viability unless like. The life of the woman is at stake, or the life of the, um, or there's fetal abnormalities or whatever. Um, But uh, it would be really hard to find somebody to do that because it's just something that most doctors wouldn't do. Um, So that's actually not necessarily a law. It's just like something that's kind of a standard of practice in Minnesota.
1: So now we know what's on the books when it comes to abortion in Minnesota. An election is obviously coming up. How could a change or shift in leadership change these current abortion laws?
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, obviously abortion has become a big uh, issue in in the election coming up um, federally as as well as in Minnesota. We've got the governor on the ballot as well as all 201 um, legislative seats because of redistricting. So everyone's on the ballot, basically. Um, And... There's not as much at stake maybe as in other states, just given the Gomez ruling that protects abortion. But the the legislature has the power and the governor has the power to um, make and in the governor's case veto laws on abortion. And so there could be, um, you know, abortion laws enacted by whoever is in power um, coming up. So in that sense, like it it, it it is an issue in the election because there is some um you know they the, the legislature and the governor have the power to make laws surrounding abortion in Minnesota um but legal scholars have sort of told me like when it comes to the legal landscape the Minnesota constitution um could be hostile to restrictions on abortion just kind of given this access argument so um and that could change I mean another thing obviously like the governor has the power to appoint judges to the bench and, and those people stand re-election but you know they usually win so um, so to the extent that the, the governor and that's not like usually an immediate change of who's on the bench, but that's another thing that the election could ultimately impact and kind of change who is um, interpreting these laws. Do you
1: happen to know, do many other states have similar cases like the v. Gomez that kind of holds up some of the abortion rights? You know,
2: I haven't specifically looked into it. I mean, if you look at across states, there's, um, you know, there's some that definitely like retain access to abortion. And I'm not sure how many of that it's because they have laws versus like um, state constitutional um, provisions and then lawsuits or um, court rulings that protect them that that uphold abortion. So I'm not sure. But that's a good question.
0: So, Greta, there is uh, currently a story on Min Post about the Republican uh, primary race for attorney general uh, with Doug Wardlow. And abortion is kind of playing into this a little bit because he didn't get the endorsement. But he the uh, the Republican candidate who did is um, is he pro-life? He's not he's not as strongly. um he's he's pro cho- he might be pro-choice he's not as strongly pro-life as Doug Wardlow is so we're already starting to see a lot of this heating up and we're not even out of primaries yet Um as a journalist can you kind of remind us because some of what we're going to be seeing is campaign literature and language from both sides that we maybe shouldn't be trusting like what should we keep in mind in terms of of what sources we should be paying attention to
2: yeah so during campaign season we see a lot of Um, literature from politicians all like politicians on both sides of the aisle do this they send out attack ads um sometimes they take things out of context um and you'll see that a lot of those attack ads or mailers that you get cite news sources and and I, I think you should just be mindful that the people sending these things have an agenda whether they're no matter what side they're from these are sent with an agenda and you should always um be smart, be a smart consumer of these things and, and recognize that they're trying to sway your position and just go do your own research. And um, but but use trusted sources, MinPost, um, and other um, people are covering the election and and have good, trustworthy information on where the candidates stand on issues. So. um
0: Greta, I, I wonder if, I mean, maybe you don't know yet. As a data reporter, you're covering a lot of different topics, but you have this ability to kind of understand the numbers in a way that we don't. Um, will you be looking at as, as Minnesota starts to get more women coming in for abortions here? Because I know we've heard from our elected officials like Attorney General Ellison and Lieutenant Governor again about how Minnesota will be open to women coming from other places. Is that something you'll be looking at?
2: Yeah, and that's actually something the preservation of the reporting requirement in Minnesota like that does allow us to see how many people are coming from out of state to get abortions. So it is valuable information in the context of reporting on this issue and understanding who's coming to Minnesota from abortions. When I looked at the data for 2021, which is the most recent report, um, it's mostly Minnesotans getting abortions in Minnesota. But I've talked to abortion providers in the last couple of weeks and they said they've definitely seen an uptick. Um, from other states just given all of this and then interestingly kind of some interstate um, interstate I guess uh, shifts in demand too because they some of the I talked to an abortion provider in Duluth who said that they think that People are coming from Wisconsin and other states to the Twin Cities because the airport's accessible, so even flying in from other states. And that's um, causing some people from the Twin Cities to come up to Duluth and things like that to get the procedure just because it's easier to get appointments. It's Greta
0: Call. She's a data reporter at MinPost. You can read her work at MinPost.com. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Greta. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to The Thursday Morning Show.